You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. For those of you who are new to our community, uh, either here in person or watching online, and we have yet to get to know each other uh, very well, if ever you're interested in observing me in my most unchristian habitat, invite me to go golfing with you. This was on full display a couple of years ago. Uh, a couple of years ago, a bunch of college, college buddies of mine and I, who are all avid golfers, invited me to go on a golfing trip with them to Myrtle Beach. And those of you who are good golfers, you know that this is sort of like the mecca of experiences. You're going there, and you're going to play, and you're going to have a lot of fun, or in my case, pretend to do so. And so, um, in the weeks leading up, in the weeks leading up to this trip, I'm doing everything to make sure I don't embarrass myself. I'm putting practice rounds in. I buy a new pair of clubs. I buy a new whole new set of clubs. I buy all the new clothes. I think we actually got a picture of my fit uh, while we were there. Some on the far left. <laughs> because here's the deal. Here's the deal. If I wasn't going to play good, daggummit, I was going to look good. <laughs> or at least uh, pretend enough so everyone would go, man, he must can really play. And I didn't. Um, So I had an abysmal time. um, And I'll tell you where it all went wrong. It all went wrong where I stepped onto the very first round. And here's what happened. I expected to play good. There it is. I expected to have fun. I expected this to go way differently than every other round of golf I've ever played before. (laughs) And so... I was wrong, and I spent more time hunting for my ball than actually hitting uh, my ball. So I went with a bunch of my friends, and actually a couple of my mentors uh, were there with me, a couple of mentors who um, had, have been instrumental in my faith and growing my faith and developing my faith, and at one point towards the very end of the whole trip, uh, he pulled me aside and he said something to me I'll never forget. Actually, he said two things to me. He said, number one, I didn't know pastors knew those words. <laughs> and secondly... Uh, He said, one of the things that I have found to be true, uh, the longer I live, the more I follow this Jesus, is that expectations are just planned disappointments. Expectations are just planned disappointments. Or you might have heard the popular saying, expectations are premeditated resentments. Resentful. That things should have gone differently. Now, I don't got to tell you this. You know this, right? You know this is true already. You know how powerful expectations are. You know how powerful it can be to have one set of expectations in a dating relationship or in marriage or in parenting or in your job. And when things don't live up to the expectation, you've seen how powerful, how detrimental they can be to your happiness. So this is not a shocker probably to any of you, but I am someone who suffers from very high expectations, right? So this is on full display, actually, even more so last week. Last week, uh, my wife sent me a text message while I was at work and said, hey, me and the kids got you a little surprise. (laughs) 
and my expectations went through the roof. The all day, couldn't even focus on work. I'm like, my car's getting old. Maybe she got me a new car. My, my watch has not been working. Like when I run, it like keeps dying midway through like my run. Maybe she got me a new watch. Maybe she got me AirPods. I, um, my uh, thing that I'll have to apologize to Jesus for is my shoe collection. So I have a, a ungodly amount of shoes. And so I'm like, maybe she bought me new on clouds or new night. Maybe she's like, oh, I can't wait to get home. And so you can imagine my disappointment when I walk in and she said, sweetheart, found your favorite yogurt. Thanks, babe. Really excited. Can't wait to eat all the yogurt. It's going to be so fun. Whew. Expectations. They're powerful. They're powerful. And friends, here today on Easter Sunday, uh, we are here to do a lot. In fact, we're here to celebrate a lot. But I think one of the things that Easter is at its core is it's meant to be the one Sunday a year, at the very least, that challenges your expectations. Especially as it relates to faith. Challenges what expectations uh, you hold towards this God of ours. What expectations you have in regards to what God can, cannot do. Who God is versus who God isn't. What is and isn't up Jesus' sleeve when it comes to your life. And there's no character who understands that better than the main character you just heard a couple moments ago. Outside of Jesus, the main character in this story is that of Mary. And to give you a little bit of context of what has transpired, where we are in the resurrection story, is early Easter morning, two of the disciples, uh, Peter and John, sprint to the tomb. They find the, the, uh, the stone has been rolled away. It's empty, and it's sort of conflicting because some of them, one of them believes, it says John believed, but they didn't yet know the scriptures. And so it says that they sort of like, were just sort of like caught. They didn't really know what had happened, what exactly went down. So they just went back to where they were staying. They just went back to their normal lives. Well, I can imagine they're passing Mary on her trip to the tomb. And Mary, upon hearing this, says, okay, that's well and good, that's fine, but i got to see it for myself. And by sticking around, Mary becomes the very first ever eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. However, it goes like nothing she ever expected. And what I love so much about this Easter story is what we watch Mary do in these next couple of moments, in the unfolding moments of the story, is we watch her place expectations on God that we ourselves place on God, ourselves, and each other all the time. All the time. Right? So how does it start? It starts with Mary, when she first shows up, uh, she's a hot mess. She's very, very sad. She's expecting that, oh my gosh, someone is, Jesus is uh, dead. Someone has stolen his body. He didn't rise from the dead like he said he was going to do. 
holy cow, and so she's a hot mess. She's expecting the worst. Anybody here uh, a worst-case scenario sort of person? A worst-case scenario sort of person? So in, in many regards, I think all of us kind of are. Uh, the events of these last two or three years have sort of trained us to be worst-case scenario sort of people. Case in point, uh, two weeks ago, I went for a, a lovely little nature hike with my children, and um, they wanted to uh, dabble in the babbling brook and uh, dance around and stuff. And so, like, we were having a joyous little Saturday afternoon. I'm taking pictures. I think my wife would love to be in on this and see the beautiful things that we're doing in nature. I sent this picture to her. This is her reaction. Um, she saw, I saw a wonder afternoon. She saw, rest in peace to both of their children. But this is kind of what the world's done to us. This is kind of what the world's done to us. All these events that have happened have just sort of trained us to just expect the worst. And this is exactly what Mary's doing here in this moment. She's crying. She's weeping. She's expecting that this dude that she just wasted her life on for the last couple of years didn't live up to the hype, didn't do what he said he was going to do, and now all of her hopes have been dashed. And we do this. As human beings, we do this. We, we, it's one of the things that we do with God and we do with ourselves and do with other people is we sort of our default mechanism is to sort of just expect the worst. Maybe something good will happen, but I'm just going to go in expecting the worst all the time. In dating relationships, in marriage, in parenting, in a job, in a career advancement, or maybe it's a, a dream or an ambition of yours. Just go in with very, very the worst possible expectations. And why do we do this? Why do we do this? It's because if we were honest... It's safer, isn't it? If I just go in and expect all of it to be a hot garbage mess, then I don't have to run the risk of being disappointed, of being betrayed, being rejected. None of that has to happen. It's just safer. And then Easter comes along and says, is it though? Is it? really safer? One of the things I've found to be true of my own life is that the situations and the relationships and the scenarios where I go in regularly with worst case scenario mindset, worst expectations, what I've found is inadvertently two things are beginning to happen to me. Maybe they're happening to you. Two things are happening to me. Number one, I'm training myself to resist joy. Have you found this to be true? If you always go in with worst expectations, oh, well, this is obviously going to turn out to be just one big destructive mess. You are training yourself to resist joy because, and how do I know this happens? Because then when I do get the thing that I want and I'm hopeful for, I'm scared to be happy about it. I go, well, it worked out this time. We don't know about next time. Or how, we don't know how long this is going to last. I've trained myself to just resist feeling joy. The other thing that it does is it, uh, it, it sort of confines and restricts my world uh, into this small little world made up of only self-fulfilled prophecies. Think about it. If you go into every situation, every relationship, everything in your life with worst expectations, you're only looking out for the bad. You're only paying attention to the bad. So much so... That when the good stuff actually arrives, it flies right by you. You don't even know it was there. 
which actually leads to the next set of expectations uh, that happens uh, in our story. So after this, after the worst level of expectations, what we find is uh, then Mary begins to shift. She begins to shift and she places different expectations. So then she starts having this back and forth. You caught this. She's having this back and forth with the angels. She's having this back and forth with Jesus. She doesn't know it's Jesus. Did you catch that? She thinks it's the gardener. Maybe he's got like a new beard situation, like in his post-resurrected uh, state. Like his glow up was just like, wow, you are new you, son, new you. And what happens here in this moment is she's shifting. She's no longer having worst cases expectations, but she's coming in with really narrow expectations. She doesn't recognize Jesus because she's expecting something different, something very specific. She's imagining and expecting Jesus to show up in those same clothes she always wore, with that hairstyle, looking the same way, with his voice sounding the same. She's got a very, very specific expectation as to who this Jesus is and how this Jesus is going to show up, or if he's going to show up at all. And we do this too, don't we? Sometimes we get so laser focused on what we want. We have such specific, such narrow expectations for our lives that we miss out on how they might in fact be fulfilled just in a different way. Check this out. Uh, when I was a, a teenager, I used to um, think about the future a lot. I had a really hard time, I still do, I have a hard time being present. I'm always thinking about the future. And as a teenager, I would always think about my life and what I hoped my life would look like by the time I reached the age I'm at right now. So I'm 33 right now. And so for me, I was like, man, there's a bunch of stuff that I hope a, a, a picture of my life. I hope it looks like this by the time I reach 33. And so every single one of us, including myself, we have that. Whether you wrote it down or not, whether you told anybody about it or not, every single one of us have expectations for our lives. That, okay, by the time I reach 30, I, want, I need this. And then like, Jesus, if you want to throw a little added bonus, like these will be cool too, right? So for me, this was mine. By the time I hit 33, I was hoping that on the need side, uh, I, need, um, I need to be married, I, I need a family, uh, I need to be pastoring to respond to the call God had placed upon my life, I hope that I, I have good health, I'm in good health, uh, and then uh, fifthly and finally, I hope my faith is stronger at 33 than it was at 16. I hope I'm experiencing a deeper, richer friendship with Jesus than I was back then. However, at the same time, I also was like, if if Jesus is accepting orders, I was also sort of like also going to throw in some other stuff. Like if also by the time I reached 33, like if I could be living in North Carolina, I always wanted to live here. I lived in Colorado at the time. That would be awesome. Uh, if I could see Coldplay live and in person, I feel like I would experience and find Jesus all over again. Um, <laughs> I would love to become a published writer. That is a dream of mine that I've always had for a very, very long time. I would love to travel to Europe. I put this last one on there and, uh, well, there's no chance that's ever happening. So... <laughs> And this is how it's going. This is how it's going. By the time I reach 33, Jesus has provided every single thing I've ever needed. Everything I've ever needed. And he's even thrown in a couple of bonuses along the way. But here's what's so fascinating about this list. Not a single one of those check marks happened the way I expected them to. Not a single one of them. Every single thing on that list, it happened, but it happened in a way I would have never imagined, never conceived. Took, Jesus took me on some really roundabout, off-beaten paths to arrive at these things, these places that now behold my life. And so, friends, I think the wisdom in that is simply this. 
one of the things that I think Easter is meant to help remind us of what Mary's experience with Jesus has helped to be for us, what the witness it is, is be super, super careful. Be super, super careful that you don't miss the good thing while waiting on the exact thing. You hear that, distinguish? You hear that? Be careful you don't miss the good things God sends in your path because you're still waiting on that very specific thing. This happens in my faith all the time. All the time. If I have something I need or if there's something I am praying about or asking God about, God will answer. God shows up, and God almost always shows up in ways that defy all of my expectations. And if I'm not careful, if I get so handcuffed to the literal thing, I miss the real thing. I miss the good thing. And then the story ends this way. So then she shifts to a different set of expectations. So then Jesus speaks her name. I love that. It's one of, like one of my favorite moments. Uh, Jesus calls her name. And the, a mom, the moment she heard how her name sounded on his lips, immediately she knew it was him. Immediately. This person she had known her whole life, she knew it was him. And so she's excited, she's ecstatic, she's like, holy cow, you did rise from the dead, you did say all, you, you did do all the things you said you were going to do, this is awesome. She gives him a huge bear hug, and I love this part of the story, because Jesus says, don't cling to me. So it's sort of like, <laughs> those of you who are not huggers, raise your hand if you're not a hugger. Yeah, they're like, I'm not putting my hand up, because then people will hug me. Um, <laughs> This is your biblical evidence. You get to take this home. And when you go to a family gathering later today, you get to say, actually, John chapter 20 states that I don't have to hug you. Get. <laughs> Jesus wasn't about it either. But no, Jesus, seriously, he says this. He says, don't cling to me because I have yet to go to be with my father. I have yet to ascend to heaven. In other words, I've yet to fulfill the mission. Mary came in with, in, at the very end, she has incomplete expectation. She thinks it's over. She thinks it's done. She's like, Jesus has risen from the dead. The story's over. Hallelujah. The kingdom's coming. This is going to be amazing. It's all done. The work is complete. Here we go. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's just begun. This kingdom revolution. Oh, baby, we're just getting warmed up. And when I was reading this part of the story this week, I got to thinking about one of the things that I do all the time with Jesus, all the time, is so often the expectations I place on Jesus prohibit me from doing what needs to be done. In other words, oftentimes what I'm finding in my own life, in my own faith, in my own spirituality is that sometimes I expect God to do something that in reality God's actually expecting of me. You ever been there? waiting on God to do something, only to find out later, like, oh, actually the ball was in my court all along. Some of you are here this morning, you're tuning in to worship this morning. Let's just be super honest. Let's just be super honest. The events of these last several years and just what's going on in your own personal life, it's made your faith shaky. It's made it stale. It's made it in this place where you're like, man, I don't I don't know, I just don't feel it as much. I don't feel like going to church as much. I don't feel like talking to God as much. We used to, I, just, I used to be on fire. Like, I used to have just such a close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And now I'm just like, I don't know. It's just not there. It's just not there. And to be super clear about something, there's a whole laundry list of reasons as to why that might be happening. 
And also, hear this, they're all normal. That experience is normal. But amongst them, amongst all those reasons, one of them is that sometimes we get caught in these spiritual ruts. Sometimes we get caught in this spiritual apathy where we're waiting on God when in reality God is waiting on you. We're sitting over there saying, I need more affirmation, I need more peace, like I need more direction. And Jesus is outside the house going, bro, already gave it to you, let's go. Like it's you we're waiting on. It's you we need to step out of the boat. It's you who needs to engage because I need you to transform the world. Maybe that's you. But whoever you are, wherever you are today, I want to close here. You see, friends, Easter, don't get it twisted. Easter is not uh, this sort of uh, commandment to go forth now and have zero expectations. That's not possible. I'm going to play golf next week, and I'm going to expect to be good. I'm going to wear the clothes. And I'm going to lose 17 balls. It's not possible. We're going to still do it. But I think what Easter is, amongst everything else, it's so many things, but at its core, I think what Easter is, is it's just a challenge to you. It's a challenge to me, not to not have expectations, but just to not put so much stock in them, not to trust them all the time and treat them as black and white gospel. Why? Because, friends, your and my expectations are based off of very, very, very limited information. You want to hear some stats that will absolutely blow your mind? Check this out. I read these earlier this week. Did you know that in an average lifetime, the average person will only see 80,000 faces in their lifetime? Now, you might be like, holy cow, that sounds like a ton of faces. But when you put it in perspective and you compare it against the world's population, that's only 0.01% of the world's total population. So in those days when you think, I know people, I know humanity, I know the way people are, you actually only know what .001% of people are like. You've had limited information. Also, uh, the average person, this, uh, another study found that the average person will only visit three countries in their lifetime. That is 1.5% of the countries in the world. I visited nine. That's only slightly better. So I'm at 4%. Woo! 4%. Friends, your expectations are so limited because you've only seen such a tiny little bit of the world. Let's go one more. Every single one of us here today, you've lived only on earth, I assume. Uh, If you haven't, I would love to see you after church. Anyway, (laughs) by living only on earth, guess what? Earth is only one of 100 billion planets in our galaxy. Meaning, you have only been exposed to point. I think it's eight zeros, zero, 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 one percent of just this galaxy, this one. And there's more out there. So here's what I want you to do. 
Okay? Can we at least all agree to do this? Let's all do this. Let's all do this. When you leave here today, maybe the best possible way to celebrate Easter and to live truly into the message of Easter is anytime you step out of those doors and you face something at work or in your marriage or in parenting or in a family relationship or in a friendship or whatever, you face a situation and you're tempted to have just worst expectations, super low expectations, nothing good is going to happen, or when you're tempted to have very narrow expectations. Well, it can only happen in this way. Here's the mantra I want you to tell yourself, okay? You ready for it? Here's the mantra I want you to tell yourself. I haven't seen nothing yet. When it comes to this Jesus, I haven't seen nothing yet. That's who we're following. You're following someone who can do infinitely more than you could ever imagine. Infinitely more than you ever believed was possible. And so Easter is about saying, Jesus, that terrifies the daylights out of me but I want that, and I want you, and I want whatever incredible possibilities for my life you have planned. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.